We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Alexis, Ozil, Lacazette, and Ramsey all on the trading block as Arsenal discover new Messi, Eddie Nketiah, who will be the future of the club. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am joined by Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello, and Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause and in My Pants. Hello, Paz. Nketiah. How, how do we say it? Is it Nketiah? Nketiah. Tim? I have no idea. No idea. Can I say Nketiah? Is that Okay. How about this? Is it Enketia or Enketia? Enketia, we've no idea. It could be a chant. Let, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's agree on a way. How about Enketia? En- Enketia or Enketia? Which do you like better? Enketia. Yeah, Tim? I'm happy to go with that. Enketia? <laughs> I don't think I'd ever said his name out loud. Let, let's until, do this. Uh, let's, last night. <laughs> let's say Eddie. How about Eddie? Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> what's clear, regardless of how you say his name, is that we probably should not have spent money on Lacazette. We'll talk about how that was wasted money um, later on in the pod. Uh, a couple of things that I think uh, you should know, listener. First things first, we're going to be introducing Scott Willis. Uh, he'll have a little five to ten minute segment on our podcast where possible, and we'll introduce him today. That'll be dropping in at some point in this pod. Uh, he's an analytics guy. He's an Arsenal fan. He does uh, radars and XG and cluster thingies that... I don't want to get too technical. Um, he does PPVA as a stat he came up with, pop, uh, progressive passing value added, which he discusses. It's interesting. I know a lot of uh, those of you who listen um, would like to hear a little bit more of the analytics side of things. We are not qualified. I mean, I should say I am, but but as the host, it wouldn't be right for me to take that role. So Scott's going to kind of add a little analytics flavor to what we do. But again, we're not going to change our usual uh, pattern of having a panel of us just 
rant and rave about the game for an hour. So don't worry, that won't change. The other thing I want to warn you about is that Paul uh, uh, let us know on our back channel that he felt this was a sterling performance, that Twitter can go, quote, fuck itself. That's right, you can find him on Twitter, <laughs> at Pausing in my pants. Um, I did, didn't and I? And I, I think he's fairly positive on Francis Coughlin's performance, so this should be a lively one. Um, so let's start with you, Tim, before uh, World War Three kicks off, which, let's face it, it may be kicking off somewhere else as we speak. Um, I would, at a minimum, say that of all of the performances with this lineup, None of them have been scintillating. They, they, they've been disjointed. They've been mm-hmm. challenged. Um, because not only do you have a lot of inexperienced players in the side, but you have inexperienced players playing out of position and players playing together that are not familiar with one another. But would you say, at least in the first half, that this was really the worst example of this sort of second team trying to make it happen together? Yeah, yeah. And I think there are a few reasons for that. I mean, first of all, what he's, what Wenger's tried to do... Um, Again, I've said this on a few pods now after some of these games. Let's not kid ourselves that the primary aim of these games is Wenger developing his second string or developing young players. It's about keeping the first team out of the firing line. That is priority numero uno about these uh, about these games. And the rest of it is just kind of cobbled together. So, so you're saying that if it was down to playing uh, Alexis or inanimate carbon rod, the, the carbon rod yeah. would be playing it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's priority number one. Um, and in that respect, um, you know, that priority is met before kickoff. So that that's kind of fine. What Arsenal's tried to do with these games is he's I think he's accepted that there have been some injuries in defence. You know, with, you know, Debussy hasn't always been available. Chambers hasn't been available. Monreal's become an indispensable part of the back three in the first team. Um, as you've said many times, the squad has not been built with wing backs in mind, so we don't really have uh, many of those kicking around. Um, and now, you know, but one, one of the really positive things about having this second team, so now Per Mertesacker has had to go into the first team and he will have benefited a lot from having these games uh, behind him. So now he can slot into the first team. He's got some match practice. He's got some minutes in his legs. Um, and that's that's really what these kind of games are valuable for. I think this one was different because Arsene has tried, basically, he's trusted his front three to make the difference. He's put out a mishmash of a team and he's thought, right, I've got Giroud, I've got Walcott, and I've got either Iwobi, Wilshere. It's a fairly, inex- it's a, sorry, a fairly experienced front three um, with plenty of kind of Premier League and Champions League experience, goals, assists in it. And he's kind of trusted it to get through and it's worked to this point. Belgrade, a prime example, really disjointed performance, nothing to write home about. But that front three came through for him only once in the game, but it was all it needed. I think that didn't happen yesterday, first of all, because Norwich were very good. Yep. Um, Second of all, I I think what really struck me during the game was the only time Norwich were very structured and, uh, you know, they liked playing the ball out of the bat. The only times they looked in trouble to me was when the game became unstructured, when um, maybe there was a bit of percentage football going on or the ball dropped awkwardly or there was a bit of chaos introduced. That's when they looked um, they looked uncomfortable to me. Um, and that's I'm sure we'll get onto this. That's what um, Eddie uh, brought. He brought that kind of little bit of uh, unpredictability in the area. Um, but that was the only time they looked they looked uncomfortable to me. And I was thinking, man, if we had the players for a high press, I think, I think, you know, they'd be there for the taking for turnovers and for, you know, wrestling the ball off them high up the pitch. But we had Giroud and we had Walcott 
And um, and then the other thing we did, we didn't really decide who was playing central midfield and we tried to swap it between Awobi and Wilshire, and it just didn't work because, um, you know, Wilshire just doesn't really have the engine, to, to, the legs to play there at the moment, and Iwobi just doesn't have the engine or the discipline. And we saw that with the Norwich goal. The ball breaks loose in midfield and there's absolutely nobody there because nobody really knows what they're meant to be doing. I think it was a very loose concept idea from Arsenal that just didn't work. He will be makes the, the tackle, half, but you can see he tackles like a, a guy who plays on the wing. Yeah, and then there's just a big hole there. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure why Francis Coquelin wasn't in it, um, but I suppose that's another subject. We will come on but, to him. Let's, I'm trying to save that so yeah. that the, the fireworks yeah, yeah, can, can be the big finale. Yeah. So, so basically, on this occasion, um, the front three wasn't quite set up to hurt a team like Norwich. And so Arsene didn't have that liberty of the front three just getting him through the game. Um, and in the end, he had to introduce somebody else entirely into the front three. Someone who created that bit of unpredictability and movement, that bit of chaos, that bit of mobility. Um, and and it, it was, you know, like I said, Norwich looked very comfortable with the way we attacked. And actually, they could have scored more on the counter, I think, had they been a bit more composed in the final third. But they, they impressed me. I think they stimmed us, basically. And it looked like we didn't have anything on the bench to change it. But um, it turns out we did. Oh, how you are wrong. We actually had <laughs> the heir apparent to, to Messi and Mbappe combined on the bench. But we will come on to that. Um, interestingly, to your point about when the game became a little less predictable and also when their legs went... I think XG-wise, this was like 0.8 to 0.8 until about the 80th minute, or they were at like 1 and we were at like 0.8. It ended 3.69 to 1. So like from the, the last 10 minutes of regular time and the extra time period, they just completely fell apart um, and gifted us a lot of big chances. Um, and, you know, to be fair, they were very good to start with. But what I also felt was that this followed a pattern we've talked about a lot in the Europa League and the other Carabao Cup games. They sat back until they realized we couldn't hurt them. And it was almost like a light switch went on about midway through the first half where they were like, they can't hurt us. Let's get at them. And when they started to take the game to us, we sort of struggled to cope with it for a period of time there. Um, Paul, you would think that when you drop players like Giroud and Theo into a side like this, that the, that quality would be telling. That really, and, and we can come on to a Wobi a little bit later. I don't want to discuss that here, but Theo and Giroud in particular... But these are players who are struggling, and maybe for different reasons. Walcott seems to be struggling with the two-behind-the-striker forward position in this formation. Giroud just seems to be struggling generally, and I want to talk about him for a second. Do you think maybe, just maybe, given his age, and again, granted, given he's not playing with the best players in the world also, but that we're starting to see the the turn in, in his capabilities and his performance that we're starting to see maybe the the decline i mean the touch isn't as clean the hold-up play isn't as strong he seems to have lost even that half step of pace he might have had are you a little bit troubled by Giroud's performance in this game and what you've seen from him generally uh yeah um uh, i certainly felt that the his last time out this time out it just seemed like he didn't get any service um and i almost feel a little bit bad piling on to him in this game because I don't know that he was, you know, he did anything particularly wrong. He just never did anything right. I think he had one good headed opportu- header opportunity off a cross or or something uh, in the first half. 
Um, Did Nketiah's never- movement, though, serve as kind of a an interesting contrast to see that yeah. if Giroud can't influence the game with his strength and hold up, that his lack of running really holds us back? Yeah, and he's not all, you know, he's great on the, so like Eddie scored off uh, two corners. I guess we're going with Eddie then. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's better. Um, that's Giroud's territory, but what uh, Nketia uh, does is be in the right place at the right time, which I don't always think is Giroud's uh, forte. There, there's many the ball that goes through the six-yard box where I'm like, isn't that what he's supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, in that sense, maybe Eddie showed him up a bit in this game. Um, but overall, I just felt he was isolated and he didn't have the players around him to make things happen. And part of the issue is he stands in the middle, makes a static, and Jack and Iwobi's MOs is to run right through the middle of the box or try and one two their way through them you know that's how they build play right through that middle so now Giroud standing there those two there Theo's pretty static on the right of Giroud because Giroud's in the middle not moving out of the way giving him that movement um, and so Theo basically all game made that short diagonal run and because he and the midfielders weren't quite in sync he I think he was offside twice in the first half and a couple more in the second half um, and so there was this kind of frustrating malaise set in, as they say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, yeah, I mean, just it, it, we'll we'll probably talk about it a little bit. But yeah, I I definitely rated this performance higher than some. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll bite off one piece of it. Tio had the captain's armband. I uh, I'll be interested to get Tim's view. Of, of it because mm-hmm. he normally has this good seat where he spends his time watching Theo picking his nose. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I've ever seen Theo put in a shift of constant running and effort like him doing his best to give a captain's performance. Now, I'm not saying it was it, it there was a lot of fruit at the end of this performance, though he did put in both crosses. Uh, from the corners, and he generated the second corner off that really good uh, little run he did in the shot across the keeper, the classic Theo shot. But to me, uh, you can criticize a lot in this performance, particularly quality, uh, end product, you know, the stuff in the final third. Um, I think every player was some mix of two-thirds good, one-third shocking cock up of a final ball mm-hmm. or third pass or whatever um everybody put in a shift they worked their asses off from what and, I and could they should say. by the way because these these are players who this is their platform there there are only going to be so many carabao and europa league cup games to to put yourself in the manager's reckoning for a first team spot yeah yeah absolutely but it doesn't always pan out that way no, that's, you, can, that's fair. You, yeah. you can't always fake yourself into wanting something that you kind of don't don't want every one of these guys and that includes uh i mean i think jiro worked really hard to absolutely no effect but it will be worked his fucking socks off uh Coquelin, jack every one of them gr- it, it, so i watched this game and uh I was in a meeting at the time, so I was actually following this on Twitter. You can just say you were jacking off in a Walmart parking lot. Like, we get it. It's fine. But okay, yeah, keep not, going. Not this time. So okay. I had the Twitter experience. This was about the... Uh, so have you ever uh, heard that joke, the aristocrats? Yes. Yeah, of course. 
the family go into the yeah 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 the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the yeah. agent's office and he says, "What do you guys do?" And it's a, the father, mother, the the kids, a dog, a cat, a budgie, a, a rabbit, the grandparents. And by the time they're they're finished showing him the act, the father is doing the mother, the mother's fist in the sun. Yeah, yeah, they're all having intercourse. Yes. Yes, there's like yeah, we got uh, it. Come yep. piss shit, vomit on the At floor. At the end of it, like, they say the aristocrats. No, no, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it then goes. It then takes a turn for the worse. Then they get to the end of it, and the agent's in shock, and his mouth's open, and he's like, "What do you guys call yourself?" And they go, "Ta-da, the aristocrats." Yeah. Thank cool. You. All right. Um, that's what I was I'll do my expecting best to edit that to out if there's a good edit, point, but keep going. <laughs> That's what I was expecting to see on <clears throat> Twitter. And, of course, I knew the result. The, you know, when you do that thing, if you go back, you watch it, you know the result, and you've read what people thought on Twitter, that will boost your view of the game, maybe unfairly. Um, but uh, I'd really be curious to see Tim's thoughts on whether – that was reflected really in what he could see in terms of graft and effort. And well, which to okay. me, I think that's important in a game like this because, to your point, that says these guys really get it and are really working for it. Okay. Well, well, I mean, I, I well, I don't disagree with that. I, I mean, I'm I'm not saying they didn't care, they didn't try. I mean, for me, the issue was a lack of quality. I well, first of all, Tim. I mean, overall, just a <clears throat> sentence or two. I mean. Do you do you think the performance was better than the way it was received, or do you think this was pretty much a, a low quality performance that we kind of salvaged with ten ten minutes and then an extra time where they just lost their yeah. legs? Yeah, I, I I think it was huff and puff, and yeah, I, I agree. No, that it, nobody wanted for effort. I, I think there was a severe lack of quality. I I kind of agree. Yeah, Walcott was. Um, you know, and Walcott went to right wing back um, for quite a long time, which was very weird. And uh, but I and, and yeah, he did try to take responsibility, which was um, in many ways the problem because he can't do that. <laughs> um, and you know, and uh, I was kind of, I suppose I was kind of disappointed. And, and I get it, like because it's about the unit and everything. But I was disappointed in some of the more senior players, like Coquelin, booting the ball out of play again and again and again. I thought Walcott was very and. Um, very poor quality Giroud I, I get it yeah he was a bit starved of service but he did just kind of stand there all night and just didn't remotely try and move towards the ball not until um, Eddie came on and there was a bit more going on up front mm-hmm. so maybe that was behind it as well but but yeah I, I think it's kind of both they did try but um, yeah it was pretty poor fair to be honest yeah well all right so look one player that i think is really in the spotlight at some level right now is jack wilshire and you know he had a really bright performance against red star he had a nice little cameo against everton playing in one of those two behind the striker positions but in this game at least nominally tim he was the central midfielder alongside cocky mm. now i realize he and and Awobi kind of shared that responsibility but i also thought this was a fairly poor performance from jack i think some yeah. heavier touches um didn't have the burst from central midfield that maybe he can have in those short spaces uh, closer to the box. Do you think this was a poor performance or just the wrong role that he's not a central midfielder anymore? Um, I think more the latter, to be honest. So I think in the first half, Wilshire and Awobi just never worked it out. It was just too confusing for everybody, um, probably for Coquelin as well. 
Um, and El Nenny, who I thought actually El Nenny was uh, comfortably our best player on the night. Um, although, like he, you know, he was basically playing in central midfield um, for most of it because nobody seemed to be stepping into that space. I, I think we saw what I've suspected for a while that at this point in time, Jack Wilshire cannot play in central midfield. Um, it's certainly not over more than a period of about 15, 20 minutes. Um, I don't think the athleticism is quite there yet, and, and, and I get why. That's not, um, you know, to criticise Jack so much. That's probably quite natural um, at this point. I think he's much better in that uh, in in one of those number ten roles, and I've, I've I've said this before, but I really like his partnership with Giroud when he plays there because he kind of brings the ball to Giroud, and he brings um, some of the other qualities out in Giroud that we've probably forgotten about because he's become a super sub that just wins headers and and actually he's quite a technically very good footballer, particularly around the edge of the area, and we, I think we've kind of forgotten that, but. Wilshire brings that back out in him. Iwobi doesn't. Iwobi and Giroud has never worked. Iwobi thrives on movement. Iwobi likes playing with Welbeck, um, you know, and Alexis. He, he likes movement around him. And constantly, every time I saw Iwobi pick the ball up, I just saw him motioning his arms, like as if to say, someone move. Someone, someone go like, somewhere. Come to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either come to me and get the ball off me or move so I can put it somewhere and, it was all very static, but yeah, I, I think we've seen exactly why Arsenal is completely right to ignore the clamour, really, to to start Jack Wilshire in the Premier League. And and to be fair to Jack, you know, this is I appreciate he came off the bench against Everton for 15 minutes against 10 men, but it's still three games in five days. Um, and he played know, 120 Thursday. minutes. <laughs> that exactly, that couldn't have been the plan. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it was. And and I think because Iwobi got cramp as well. Um, yeah, I mean, he I, I, with about 20 minutes to go, Jack was seriously blowing. And then in extra time, it was. It reminded me of. Um, do you remember when Fabregas broke his leg against Barcelona, mm-hmm. and he actually finished the game? He just <laughs> didn't he take lost. a didn't he take a penalty? <laughs> he took the penalty, and that made it worse. And then he just spent the last three minutes hobbling around the centre circle, and uh, that you know, Jack. It reminded me a little bit of that. He was completely gone by then, and I think we've seen that Arson is probably managing him correctly at this stage, and this this will have done him some good. Um, I think until the international break, we can keep him ticking over like this. 10, 15 minutes here and there in the Premier League. Um, we certainly, while we've got Alexis, Ozil and Lacazette, we don't need him in one of those roles uh, behind the striker in the Premier League. Give him a couple of sub appearances. Let's have the international break where he'll stay at home again for two weeks, build him up and let's see where we are then. Um, but yeah, I think we've seen at the moment that his legs aren't really quite there to play central midfield yet. Yeah, and, and I think, look, it's hard to evaluate your sort of creative players when you have players like Walcott and uh, Giroud on the pitch who don't seem super comfortable in their roles. But I I, I think the clamor for Awobi to start ahead of Ozil that you see from some people because of his running and his energy and his athleticism, I, I still don't think the quality is there. To, mm, not yet. for that to be a realistic choice. Now, I, I, does Awobi have a big future for us? I still think he does. I mm. just think we have a tendency to elevate these bright young players who show us something to ready-made superstar. I mean, we did it with Oxlade-Chamberlain. There were people telling mm. you, Ox has to play, he's a star, he's got to play, and you know, two, two years from now he's going to be playing for Aston Villa. So like, I just think we have to be careful 
to bring these guys along intelligently um, mm. and understand that saying that Alex Awobi is not Mesodozal yet is not an insult <clears throat> to Alex Awobi. Few people are Mesodozal. No. Um, I, I'm going. If to- I can add in a quick point, uh, it's uh, we've seen it with the like the very first uh, first eleven. Um, you remove a player or two, and we've kind of said this. It kind of changes the dynamic of the team. And you look at Manchester City playing on the same evening. Zero zero goes to penalties. Basically, all they're missing is Kevin De Bruyne uh, and David Silva. They start Aguero, Jesus, Silva. Bernardo Silva, Yaya Toure, Raheem Sterling, Gundogan, uh, Claudio Bravo in goal, and some other pretty decent uh, players and two 20-year-olds. And they can't score in whatever that was, 120 minutes. So it's a funny old competition, and you change a couple of things. You're going to struggle for quality and finishing, possibly. Um, To me, Norwich was by far the best team we've played in the Europa League, or the Carabao Cup so far. Um, and while we weren't great, um, I think almost everybody was like two-thirds. I would even make a case for uh, Francis Coquelin, who booted away some appallingly poor passes. Let's come on to him, because I, I do want to talk about him. Um, Good. I, I, I was sort of hoping to push the cock to the back, Wink, wink. Yeah. Um, Because I thought that that could be... That was already covered in the aristocrats. Yeah, fair point. But I guess we can come on to him now. Um, Okay. Yeah. But, uh, so look, I I don't know if I've made this clear. I want to just be clear so there's no ambiguity. Good. I don't... You loved his assist. I don't... I'm not certain Francis Coughlin is the most talented midfielder we've ever had. And yes, by the way, his assist... It was really nice. Really good header. Really brilliant assist. No taking it away from him. Hunger. He wanted it more. I I have always sort of maintained that the problem with Francis Coughlin is that, like, he is very, very limited technically. And I I think we overrate his positional awareness, his tactical awareness. I think if you're sitting in, in a low block... A Francis Coughlin can help you. Then an energetic, hard tackling, accurate tackling, usually player, to sit in front of the defense and shield, it works. And we saw it in that uh, apocryphal Manchester City game that made him, uh, not apocryphal, but, you, you know, the, the, the sort of the apotheosis of the Coughlin impact where he... Apocryphal he, now. It's become apocryphal, yeah. I, I, guess, I guess my point is that, like, in a game like this where he's kind of doing the shaka role, where Jack's kind of vacating midfield and he's basically a one-man midfield, he just didn't, he didn't seem to know where to be. The passes weren't coming off. He, he had some really poor touches. I mean, for you, as someone who, who does rate Cock and thinks that he is underrated, make the argument to me and to a lot of people listening who wanted to throw him into the sea immediately following the game why this wasn't the... the dumpster fire performance that i certainly thought it was because <laughs> a go back and watch it again i don't mean that at you elliot you, i mean you've got a absolute recall uh, yeah i watch, have a, a photographic memory time. but yeah. but everyone else should watch it again certainly yes absolutely um he's about two-thirds one-third bad in this game i mean it, his bad is kind of shocking and eye-catching but that's Francis Coquelin. Um, Not to mention that but, crazy two-footed challenge, by the way, that like, I mean, I realize the red card thing with Coquelin is overstated that he actually hasn't had as many as people might yeah. expect, but that, that, it's just that sort of loss yeah, yeah. of composure, brainless play that there's no reason uh, for. Easy on now, Chaka. Um, so, <laughs> um, 
he does a lot of good stuff in this game. Um, but he's but he has the same problem the other two have in midfield. I'd argue it was him and Jack half the time who saw themselves as the two center mids and Awobi doing his thing, and then maybe there'd be Awobi and Jack, and then Jack could head forward a bit. So knowing where positional play was supposed to keep any one of those three in that game is not the easiest task for anybody. I mean, he was part sitting midfielder in that he's the most tack. He's the only one of the three of them who can cover the ground and make the tackles. Um, so he had a lot of responsibility there. He, on his side, he tended to be on the right. So ahead of him was Theo and a blocked off Giroud. So not much ahead of him to work with, uh, you know, uh, Nelson on the right. We haven't even talked about him. Um, Clive and I had an interesting discussion a few weeks ago where I tipped and Katia to be the guy who breaks through for us, though I rate Nelson basically just as highly. I just think and Katia hasn't been talked about in stay, any snippets I've seen of him. Stay yeah, focused. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think Cockland did his usual thing. He had some good I agree. tricks, some good passes. <laughs> it was two-thirds, one-third. Uh, it's not clear what his role was, and that's not entirely his fault he didn't have much ahead of him to work with but he also isn't kevin de bruyne or ozil and he didn't create the he didn't create that something extra either but he worked his socks off did some tackling covered the ground he was needed in our midfield um had some good skills tricks he was never going to shine in this game unless he got lucky no and, um, and, and he had a, a decent little spell towards the very end and he did have the assist i, I think so a couple yeah. of things paul i mean first of all i think the thing that bothers me is for a player whose stock and trade is defense and tackling and and awareness defensively i still think he gets caught in weird positions too often up the pitch when he shouldn't be i think he gets He's, but but the shouldn't be uh that's not clear to me at all he was supposed to sit in this game, especially when they're sitting back. What, what's he sitting for? Jack's the guy doing the chaka thing. Okay, all right. From a little Even if I agree with that. Forward. And, and I get your uh, point. You know, what's a Wobie? Uh, was he the central midfielder? Was a time sometimes, you know, they were, the three of them were, you could say they were fluidly interchanging. Another way of putting it is it wasn't clear what Cochrane that it was just his functional role. Okay, fine, and that 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 yeah. doesn't fall on Cochrane. I can give you that, but like I do think he gets bypassed too easily. I do think that he likes to be he tackles on the front foot, and there was a period of his Arsenal career over the last twenty four months where it was really working. And you've talked about it a lot, where he was that chaos agent. He'd step up and make the intervention that would create a transitional opportunity for us in the final third. He's not succeeding at that enough anymore. He's getting bypassed more often than he's succeeding with that instinct to step up. I, well, I mean, the, the in this game, certainly, I felt I that... I thought he was... Look, I... He it, wasn't intercepting and tackling effectively or as effectively... Well, I, I, I think for a player who's as limited in the in the passing game, and look, the one thing I'll give him is this isn't a guy, in my opinion, who should be playing in a two-stroke, one-man midfield. Right, yeah. um, it, it's probably asking the wrong things of him. Hell, Shaka struggles with it, and Shaka, I think we'd agree, is the more talented player, certainly in possession. Um, yeah. So, so Tim, I mean, let me let me ask you first of all. I mean, just a an A B question: Coughlin, bad central midfielder or the worst central midfielder? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, you're in the ground. You hear how people are reacting to it. Do you think some of this is just that it's pile on Cochrane time? Like, you know, we have our, our players that sort of become the, the focus of, of our anxiety and our ire, or, or were you as disappointed as, as a lot of people were with his performance? 
I am um, so inside the stadium. What I'll say is that uh, at the Emirates, I think Francis Coquelin's quite popular um, hmm. because a lot of the people that go into football stadiums, they, they just want to see like, uh, well, I say they only want to see, they, they want to see like commitment and a bit of blood and thunder and, and all of that. That goes down very well in English football stadiums. So. I'd say like Francis Coquelin is not a guy who gets um, a raw deal off of uh, off of the crowd at home games. Um, I, I, I we keep that was, for Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that that's an important point actually. Like particularly for home games, I think people conflate social media and stadium too much. At away games, it's it's actually. Um, it, there's more of a line to be drawn there because the people that go to away games, they live Arsenal 24-7 and they're all on Twitter all the time. Whereas a lot of the guys at home games, like, you know, they just, they turn up, they eat a hot dog, they watch a bit of football, they go home. It's they rock up quiet. on a Saturday and they don't think about it again. Unlike the committed yeah. people like me who sit on my couch and watch and then come do a yeah. podcast and really put out for it, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he doesn't tend to get a raw deal. I don't think he really got a raw deal last night, but I, I thought he was terrible. I, <laughs> I fucking I love think... you. Come with it. Bring the thunder. <laughs> Let's do this together. <laughs> so so I, I think Paul makes an important point, right, about... So I, I don't understand. With Wilshere and Awobi swapping number eight and number ten, I don't understand why Francis Coquelin is involved in that equation. I don't understand why he's over on the right wing and why he's moving forward and all of that. But, I mean, it kind of depends how much he's being instructed to do that and how much he's, he's just going a bit a bit rogue. I don't think he is because I think one of the things that Arsene really likes about Francis Coquelin is that he follows instruction. So I think he's probably being told to do that because he doesn't strike me as a guy who thinks, I know, I'm going to bugger off to the right wing because it's just... I think that Arsenal wanted a fairly fluid midfield with lots of interchanging. And you can't do that with an unfamiliar midfield with three guys who don't play together. You can do it like when you play together every week. You can't ask a makeshift team to do that. But uh, Hey, Tim, I also wondered, because um, you'll have watched them, if part a little bit of the issue with him and Jack is they used to be peers back in the day. Yeah. And yeah, now they they're were in the youth cup team together. Yeah, yeah. and now they have to re-establish this dis- different relationship in this weird midfield. And there's a little bit of, you know, will I or will you? No, after you, no, after you, kind of stuff with the two of them. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. Yeah, they did. They did. They were our central midfield partnership when Arsenal won the youth cup in 2009. Um, so yeah, it could be. And yeah. I'm going yeah. to give you huge strategic kudos there for interjecting right after Tim said, but where all the negative stuff was about to come out. And you're like, oh, hey, t- but Tim, real quick, what do you think of tulips? Are tulips nice in the spring? I want to know what was coming after that, but the cock, but, the cock was coming after that, but let's hear it. But so the passing was um, Sunday league, um, not even Sunday league. I, I go and watch my local team sometimes who are in the, well, what used to be called the conference. I forget what it's called now, but the division below league two. So they're non-league and they don't pass the ball that badly. Um, it, you know, it was really, really bad. And I kept thinking, so one of the younger guys I quite like is, um, is Willock because I think, I think he could be quite interesting because he's very unfussy. He passes the ball, a very high percentile and um, he shows for the ball a lot and he has the ball a lot. In Belgrade, he had 91% pass completion. That was on a bumpy old pitch in a really hostile stadium and I was really impressed with the way he played. 
And um, I thought he was unlucky to miss out um, against Norwich. And and so to, to watch like an 18-year-old uh, go and give like a really assured performance in possession, I know Coquelin's a different player. And then just watch one of your senior players continually misplace passes, continually be in the wrong position. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a terrible performance. There's definitely a discussion as to how far that's his fault and how far that's just the manager tried to go a bit freestyle, a bit jazz with the midfield that couldn't do it. But um, no, th- there's not much dressing it up. I thought him and Walcott and maybe to a lesser extent a Giroud, although Giroud was just anonymous, really. I thought Coquelin and Walcott were having like a shit off, basically. Um, they were they were both absolutely dreadful throughout the game. Um, yeah, keep keep going, Tim. I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm almost there. Just keep going. Um, yeah, and look, I mean, you can talk about how the system didn't help them and how the people on the pitch didn't help them, and those are all valid points. When you're spraying 15 yard, you know, passes over the head of your wing back into touch. Like unless Per Mertesacker is going to start at wing back, like that's never going to be a completed pass. Um, and he did have the great assist. And so the one thing I will say is, while he was having a shit off, he did influence the game in a positive way to get our equalizer. So he deserves credit for that. Mm. I want to move on from it. I mean, it's such a well-worn topic. I think also we can probably agree that Coughlin's days as being in the manager's plans for the first team are probably over, barring you know major injury crisis. So you know, fingers crossed that. You know, he's only starting 15 or 20 games for us in the Premier League this season. Um, Paul, I think Reese Nelson has done pretty well in the right, from the right wing yeah. back. Not as well as we'd love him to do, but, but as yeah. well as you can expect a forward playing wing back to do. The player who probably hasn't seized the opportunity as much is Maitland Niles. And I bring it up because I know you, you've had this kind of hope for Maitland Niles to establish himself as that, that missing piece in central midfield that maybe we'd see something from him that would let him step up and grab that opportunity. And instead, this wingback role has seemed to be the opposite for him. It, it has seemed to take him out of the reckoning. He's the player, I think, who has struggled. And in fact, he did get taken off um, late on in the game. Are you frustrated by his performances more or by the fact that being played at left wingback seems to have caused him to regress in the totem pole that is the Arsenal squad? So my daughter's studying Greek tragedies at the moment, and it's all about this heroic guy who will have this fatal flaw. And with me, I didn't know they Maitland wrote Greek Niles, tragedies about me, but I'll have to pick that one up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they do. It, it's transparent who they were getting at, Elliot. Yeah. Um. So, to me, his fatal flaw is just the his mental composure and focus. Uh, he's got this weird body language after. Like he, there's one uh, episode late on in the game where he tracks some guy. He may even have let him go to begin with. He tracks him like two thirds of the pitch uh, and catches up with him. Does a sl- uh, basically practically a sliding tackle and cuts off the shaft and saves the day. Uh, but he's knackered and his body language immediately s- goes like negative. Like I'm not even here anymore. And he does that kind of thing when he makes a mistake when he did he to me his focus is his big issue um and 
so well, his defensive with- posture isn't great. I mean, the funny thing is Nelson of the two is the one who you'd expect to struggle defensively more because he's probably a forward. But if you want Maitland-Niles to be some kind of deeper central midfielder or yeah. a defensive central midfielder, you'd expect his tackling and positioning and defensive posture to be a little better, and he seems to be the one who's struggling there. Well, I think his tackling, because of his athleticism, is a combination of good or uh, he recovers the situation. Right. And he does a bit of both. Uh, his athleticism is amazing. Uh, I, I don't know a player that catches the eye with that kind of pace. Even uh, Nelson might be faster and quicker, but it doesn't catch the eye in the same way uh, Maitland-Niles does. There's a lot of things he can do DM-wise in terms of skills and abilities, but I don't know if he can put it all together. And then there's the de- that's a position where if your decision-making and your focus isn't there, uh, you're in trouble. And I, I, that's the thing I've been praying to see because that's where you grow. And I don't know that he he carries himself in a way that makes me think he's going to grow. And he's certainly not getting the minutes at central midfield. So uh, I guess there's 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 hope and disappointment there. And now it's turning more to disappointment. But as you said, he's not really getting played in the center. So how do you judge him? Arson still talks him up pretty good. But then he'll always talk up young players while they're in the frame so that they don't get beaten up on. Um. But uh, it's interesting you should say that, actually. So uh, I've wondered why Nkatia didn't get played because he caught my eye. And I'm kind of thinking, well, a, a striker needs to be physical and this guy's tiny. Um, so he's like five foot nine. And as I'm looking at it, he's two inches taller than Al Pacino, who's five seven. He's Tom Cruise is five seven. Um, now, Ron Jeremy... He is three inches bigger than Ron Jeremy. In where? Who's five foot six. <laughs> and can, can, yeah. Can so we, anyway, he, uh, Sergio Aguero is five eight. Uh, oh yeah, that's why. Jesus Sergio Aguero. Christ. That's what I was looking for. So Tim. So yeah. are, we, are we done? Are we done? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tim, um, we you know look, I, I I don't think we need to talk to you back, Pom, um, because. Well, I thought he was actually pretty bright when he came on. I don't think anyone believes his future is at Arsenal or that he's going to make it. I think that's kind of mm-hmm. consensus now. And so if it's all right with you guys, that's I don't think we need to analyze him. I'd like to spend the rest of the time we're going to spend on this match talking about uh, Eddie. So, Tim, first things first. Look, I admit my goal in life is to sound knowledgeable on topics I have very little information or understanding on. <laughs> so, obviously, I had not heard of this guy. But as someone who is... Uh, not a dilettante, and uh, more of a student of the club he loves. Were you aware of this player, and what was the buzz about him prior to, uh, obviously, being the next Messi and Bobby Combo? (laughs) So I'd heard of him. Um, I'm not as in touch with uh, the the kind of goings-on at youth level as I used to be four or five years ago. Um, So the layer, like, above them, like Bellerin, Iwobi, and and Chuba, like, I I watch them quite a bit. But I haven't seen that much of this generation. I have heard of him. Um, I know we we got him from Chelsea, actually, um, a few years ago. I think, I don't know if Chelsea let him go or... They'd said he was too small. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they let him go and we kind of snapped him up. All, you all have to I've be really, really bad to, to fail out of Chelsea's academy because I would have assumed you'd just go on loan to one of their 372 <laughs> yeah. farm systems. But yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah all, all I'd really heard about him is that, um, that he's a good finisher. Um, and, and that was about it, to be honest. So I didn't know a huge amount about, it, about him. I'd heard of him. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen him play before. Um, but 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I'd heard like, you know, you hear all these kind of hackneyed comparisons and, and the one the ones I'd heard were like Ian Wright and Jermaine Defoe, you know, kind of small, wiry. So black, pe- the black people. Is. Yeah, <laughs> okay, kind cool. of, yeah. I, I was trying to dance around that one. but <laughs> Yeah, it, it's kind of, kind of like how if you're, if you're tall and black, then you're, you're Vieira, right? I mean, okay. It, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd heard a little bit about him, but not that much. And to be honest, the fact that Arsenal threw him on on what was it, eighty five minutes at one nil down suggests that you know he wasn't really thinking. You know, he he can't have predicted that this would happen. It was just a pretty desperate loss. That's a wing and a, that's wing and a prayer moment there. That, you know, five minutes to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it, you know, there's not a lot there to suggest that Arsenal thought, yeah, this is the guy I really want to bring through. It was just, he needed a couple of strikers on the bench. He went for Chubrak Pom first, although albeit he played him on the wing. And, um, you know, he, he obviously just thought, well, this is all I've got, all I've got left, really. Um, so it's, it, it, it's an absolutely wonderful story. And for him as well, um, and the way the crowd reacted to him, and when he nearly got that hat-trick as well, when he kind of, um, when he when he went past the Norwich left back, and you could just feel the stadium behind him, and you could tell that he felt that as well because he he powered beyond uh, that Norwich left back, and you know it's it's an absolutely wonderful night for him, and it's, it's a bit of an unlikely hero really because you know you'd probably expect someone more like in the mould of Reese Nelson um, or someone like that, and and like I said, this playing this this kind of shadow side is not really about developing the youngsters. That's a bit of a byproduct. Um, so I, I think Arson was thinking much more. Well, it's going to have to be like Wilshire or Awobi or Walcott or Giroud who pulls me out of this. Um, so it's 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 a lovely night for him, and yeah. and you know if he if he never does anything else, then he'll remember this for a long time. Yeah, it, it's So funny. I have a small Ankatia theory as to why he didn't get played. Okay, let, so let me far. just say this real quick because it was, it was yeah. pretty funny. Uh, Arsblog and I were having a Twitter complaint off a little bit about how shit we'd been. And he says to me, uh, don't worry, Eddie Ankatia will come on and rescue us. And so, obviously, in hindsight, that wound up looking prophetic. And he, I think he got, you know, the, the thousand retweets, 2,000 likes, which is completely unfair because he meant it entirely sarcastically. And I, I think you should have to revoke those hashtag numbers. But in, uh, in any event, go on, Paul. So, because um, I've been itching to see this guy. Like, I've only seen the bits that are on Arsenal Player, and I, I've watched a couple of the under-whatever games that they show live. So I've seen, like, I don't know, 90 or 180 minutes of him. But the bits I've seen, he just looks really fucking good, like a mini Lacazette. Every touch is good. Every time he shoots on goal, it looks like it coulda, shoulda, woulda. No cockalass skying. In fact, it's, it's no, not the Welbeck. No, it's not the Welbeck finish. It's not the Welbeck. He's right. He's always in the zone with the shooting. He just looks really technically clean and tidy. I like his Aguero comparison because size-wise he could do that. Um, but my theory on why he's included is because he's got talent. But I think it's a year too early for him. I think. Um, uh, Wenger's thinking. Well, he doesn't need another striker. He's got one too many. Uh, he needed Nelson because he needs wing backs. Uh, if you're a striker, you kind of need, need a little size. I, I just don't think he thought he was going to need him this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, there's a, he, he threw him on in this game just because he was on the bench. 
and Eddie's come a little early, if you know what I mean. So um, he has arrived. It's been a special podcast. I, so real quick, just let's let's finish the game on this quick question about Eddie, and I'll stay with you, Paul, and then Tim, you can have a shot at it, is without wanting to throw sort of a, uh, you know, water on his night or damp blanket, what's the expression wanting to throw? What do you throw on things to dampen them? I should know. I like mastered this. Anyway, um, a fire blanket. Yeah, a whatever. Without <clears throat> without wanting to rain on his parade. How about that? Um, do you think this was a young player announcing himself as a bright talent, or some opportunistic finishing and running against tired legs? I mean, how much? How much is a special talent? He's the shining real through? deal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 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 now I say that. Based on the knowledge one can have sitting in Chicago watching Arsenal player, but sniffing his undies every chance I get, uh, he's the real deal. Uh, as much as you can tell, he. Uh, of I swear all the young to God, talents. I'm making you an appointment with a therapist like immediately <laughs> after this recording, Tim. For you, I mean, pump the brakes or what? I mean, again, I, I get it. It's a cameo. How much can you tell? But did mm. you see? flashes of a brilliant young player that we should keep an eye out for or do you think maybe some opportunistic finishing and tired like I mean, and again i'm not saying that's my opinion i'm just asking mm. is what we saw from him was it exciting enough to you to say this this is a guy to keep your eye on uh, that's down to him now because actually what you find at youth level is the difference in the talent between the players is very very small and usually what separates them is a little bit um, a little bit mentality and a little bit opportunity. Um, someone, someone like Iwobi got his opportunity because Arsenal were missing a player like Alex Iwobi, so he came into the team because of that. Not because he was the out, he was one of the outstanding players, but he wasn't the outstanding player. But the opportunity presented itself. Some of it's mentality. Some of them just don't quite have the mentality to step up. But if you're in Arsenal's under-23 team, you're a really good footballer and you've got the potential to be a first-team player. And whether you do or not will just depend on, you know, how hard you work for it. And, yeah, getting that little bit of luck. Um, you know, Eddie might have might have just not kicked the door open, but he might have jimmied a little window. Um, and whether... You, you, and, you know, he'll what he'll find now is that next Thursday when we play Red Star Belgrade, it might not be the 85th, comment, uh, 85th minute that he comes on. It might be the 75th. Or, and, or you, know, you make he it might, the start. <laughs> he he I mean, might. I, I don't think he will. But he might come on a little bit earlier now. And there'll be a little bit more expectation. But now, you know, he's he's kind of... He's, he's like, you know, he's, he's kind of just jimmied that window open a little bit. And how how it goes from here is really down to him and he could just keep going with that opportunity a bit like um yeah and, and look i'm not saying he's going to become this player or anything like that that's what happened to harry kane harry kane was playing in tottenham's europa league team because they didn't want to play their big players and uh he, he just kept scoring and he kept scoring and he kept scoring and he got in the first team and and that's what he's kept doing and a lot of kane's breakthrough was kind of a bit of felicity, a bit that Tottenham just didn't have many strikers. So, you know, it's it, it's down to him. He If he's in Arsenal's under-23s and he's starting all the time like he is, he's got the talent, he's, he's announced himself now, and how he deals with that will be a little bit down to how much more he wants it, how much um, how level-headed he is, and a little bit of it will just come down to how much more opportunity he gets. If he comes off the bench with 15 minutes to go against Red Star and does nothing... 
you know, it, 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 it could really go either way from there. So it, it's a little bit down to him, but it's a little bit down to the opportunities that present themselves as well. If it's got anything think- to do with confidence, I think uh, his celebration where he shoved one of the substitutes away <laughs> so that he could fold his arms and stare into the crowd proves it. And I think you forgot with Harry Kane, the biggest factor there was that he sold his soul to the devil. Um, Paul, can we move on or you, you have a final word there? I just want to quickly say that uh, Tim makes a point which uh, favors... In Katia, and that he's a striker. When you score goals, you get played, and that's not you know. When you play on the wing or you play in defence and you play good, you know that doesn't get you uh, the starting player spot. You have to be exceptional. But when you're a goal scorer, and this is a guy who t- shoots on sight, uh, he has that thing Arsenal always talk about with the low back lift. You know he doesn't need to wind this thing up. He'll shoot from anywhere. Uh, quick on site, low back lift. I mean, even if you go back and look at that one minute he played for us uh, in uh, preseason, he gets like the ball like twice and he gets one shot off from nowhere with three guys in front of him and curls it around where it's, I, I don't know if the keeper pams it off or it's it's just wide of the post or whatever, but um he, he even looked good in his one-minute appearance in in preseason. So he takes shots, he gets shots off. Uh, if he scores, and I think he will, um, he might come up the ranks a lot quicker than your average talented 17-year-old. Yeah, look, I, I don't think we should get ahead of ourselves, but I do think it would behoove us to sell Lacazette in January. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's, let's leave it there. I, I think the good news is the further we go in this competition, it's just more chances, more chances for young players that – have a harder path into the first team than maybe they once did more chances for our second string players to get the playing time that could be so valuable as Tim kind of alluded to, if they do have to play in important games. Um, and so that, that can only be a good thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, uh, step aside for a moment and, uh, I will introduce everyone to our, uh, analytics correspondent, Scott Willis, going to talk to Scott for a minute about what he'll be contributing to the pod. Uh, basically, you know, Common sense, intelligence, coherence. Uh, And then we'll come back and talk Swansea at the weekend. So it's new segment time at the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. Um, We talk a lot about statistics, but interestingly enough, we don't actually understand or know anything about statistics, um, which is kind of the brand, hashtag brand. Uh, But I thought it'd be interesting to find out you know, if we could improve the conversation by talking to someone who does know something about statistics. So Scott is coming on the pod. You can find Scott on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab or is that wrong is it oh underscore that crab um no there's two underscores yeah i need to have a, a better you know twitter name no 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 I, th- this is good because like <laughs> analytics are supposed to be like byzantine and arcane and i think your twitter handle should be just as arcane and difficult to find so don't find scott but if you wanted to find scott it would be oh underscore that underscore crab he is an arsenal supporter he also does some great uh, analytics works he's kind of been playing with his own uh, radars and xg totals and some interesting new statistical values and uh actually has some fun stuff you can play with you do some tableau stuff scott right where people can like kind of explore the statistics themselves i do i yeah my my big thing is openness and because that's the thing that's always been the most frustrating for me um is that getting this data is horribly hard and playing with it and doing anything with it has always been hard so my thing's always been anything that i create because mostly i want to do this for myself i'll throw on my tableau and let other people play with too yeah that's a lot of fun um is there a specific link or maybe a pinned link on your twitter page where people can find that if they want to seek it out 
Um, I believe so. I think it's, you know, on if you go to the public.tableau.com, my username is scott.willis. <laughs> nice and easy there. Yeah. So we've got a lot of information for you to digest, dear listener. Um, and uh, But if you do, it will be well worth your time. So... Uh, the Carabao Cup, uh, as exciting and interesting and uh, important as it is, is not a font of statistical access, which means there's not a lot of advanced analytics we could do. We opted to sort of include this segment here mainly to introduce you and let people know that you would be coming on. Uh, we'll talk about a tiny bit of game specifics in a moment, but by way of introduction, obviously you do some of the XG stuff and uh, some radars that are kind of interesting. Um, one thing that you've kind of added onto your radars is PPVA. Um, obviously, I know what PPVA means, but for for the neophyte, what what does PPVA stand for, and, and what is that uh, calculation involved? Um, so it stands for uh, progressive passing value added, um, which you know more or less is the value added of a per player passing the ball. Um, a very quick nutshell: how it's calculated is every spot on the field is assigned a value, so you get more. Um, it's more valuable the closer you get to your opponent's goal and the more central you are. Pretty simple to understand. Um, so that basically takes the starting point um, minus the end point, and that's the value added for that pass. Um, if you complete it, you get some bonuses. If you miss it, or if it's an incomplete pass, um, you will get subtracted where the opponent starts the field. So if, you know, you lose it in Central, you know, you have a Xhaka. So Gr- Granite Xhaka is not killing it in PPVA <laughs> is what you're telling me. <laughs> um, he, he, he actually does pretty good. Um, he only has, you know, those few brain farts a game, and mm-hmm. those brain farts are, are big subtractions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do have a description, a better full description on my website, um, crabstats.blogspot.com. Um, More really statistics, crabstat.blogspot.com. We, you know what? We will try to make all of this available somewhere on a Twitter feed or, or some yeah, such thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and I've, I've noticed, you know, like, for example, Alexis, uh, who does give the ball away a lot, still ranks very highly in PPVA. I think he led us uh, in the Everton match in that statistic that you track, um, suggesting, I guess, that he was making a lot of near-the-box or in-the-box central passes, uh, complete or otherwise. Exactly. And I think the thing that you need to look at, yes, he does turn the ball over, but turnovers in that area do not hurt you as much as turnovers in your own half. So, And they are high reward passes, so they aren't actually that high of risk. So, you know, you um, try a through ball or, you know, a chipped cross into the box. If that comes off, that's a big thing. It doesn't come off, well, you know, you have four or five guys around them and they're under pressure right away. So it's not really, you know, uh, you turn it over there, not a big deal. Well, it's interesting. I, I mean, it, just for someone, for, if anyone's heard of XG Chain, I know that's something that's sort of stats bomb, and uh, they, I think they put that out, and it's kind of become a little bit more popular uh, in people that follow the analytics community and, and keep an eye on, on stats. Can you just distinguish this PPVA um, metric in terms of how, how it, it varies from what they're doing with XG Chain? Yeah, so I mean, I also calculate um, an XG chain stat, um, but for you to get credit in XG chain, um, the end of the chain has to result in a shot. Um, and, you know, there's some situations where you have a beautiful passing move and a shot isn't created. Let me correct so you. To- in the majority of <laughs> Arsenal buildup, that is the case. So I appreciate that you have used your Arsenal hat here to fix that problem. So, I, yeah, I wanted to, to get something that measures, that, that isn't dependent on a shot being created. Because, you know, especially like for defenders or midfielders, 
where you know they they do a lot of passing and it doesn't come off with a shot. And then you also want to look at things where you make a boneheaded pass like Nacho Monreal's back pass to Petrček um, in the weekend. That's that is something that would have a huge negative effect and that wouldn't get caught in an XG chain. Got it. So XG chain tends to measure how you contributed to the actions that lead to an XG tabulation, whereas PPVA tends to measure more of the open play progressiveness of your contribution. Is that fair? Exactly. And then, yeah, you know, the other thing with XG chain is everybody gets the same credit based on how good the shot was or, you know, where the shot was taken. This one, it's how you progress the ball you are going to get that credit to you. Got it. So it's more singular, less team-oriented, and measures maybe more of, of how you are specifically influencing the game in your own individualistic way. Um, so just kind of in wrapping up, I, I, I we'll talk this specific game just briefly because, again, not a lot of statistics for the Carabao Cup uh, consistent with its its relevance to the world of football. But um, in terms of PPVA, do you happen to have handy sort of who our leaders so far would be statistically in that category? Um, I do. Um, one second. Let me just switch over to that. Um, but if we want to talk about Carabao Cup real quick while that one's loading. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I mean, I noticed. So I, I think most people would say, and as we have discussed on the pod and will continue to discuss on the pod, it was a bit of a, a dumpster fire. But from an XG standpoint, it ends up being like 3.6 to 1 or something like that. Um but you keep the running XG totals throughout the game, and I was looking at that, and it looks like we were about sub one right up until uh, Eddie and Ketia comes on and changes the game and their legs go. I mean, was this a case of us being about as inept as we looked until the point where we kind of got it towards extra time and then battered them? Yeah, I think so, definitely, because, I mean, yeah, Norwich you know, took the early lead, and it was a well-deserved lead. Um, they probably could have added a second. They had the, the chances um, where, you know, this is, again, you know, the, the Carabao Cup, no big chance data from Opta in this one. Um, but I would have said that there was probably at least two big chances that Norris created, and they probably could have had probably two, deserved two goals, and Arsenal hadn't done anything. Um, but then you look at things after about that 80th minute, and it was basically point th- um, Arsenal 2 XG to point three ish for Norwich. Yeah, so they really just ran out of gas. They ran out of legs, and then obviously once you bring Eddie on the pitch, no team is going to be able to compete, and they're going to capitulate. So yeah, I mean, I guess um, the best way we can put this is that our eyes weren't really deceiving us in terms of there there wasn't some dominance statistically, or at least based on the statistics you have access to, that we weren't uh, giving the team credit for. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, let's wrap it up with, with the PPVA if you have it. Um, I have it ready now. Okay, so, so, so this point in the season, and I realize there haven't been a lot of 90s for some of our better players like Alexis Nozel, but what, where are we in terms of the leaderboard in that uh, progressive passing value-added stat? Um, so uh, unsurprisingly, at least to me, is that Mesut Ozil um, leads us, even though he only has you know 367 minutes on the year. Um, so he's at 2.8, and this, this scales pretty well to goals. Um, that was kind of the idea when I built it, so mm-hmm. you could kind of say that his passing has been worth um, two additional goals over, say, average. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Mesut Ozil is um, really good at passing. As an idiot, this is not a counting <laughs> stat, right? This is a per 90 stat? Um, no, this is, so it, I do have it as both per 90 and as a counting stat. So this is his overall 2.84 is his um, total, total for okay. the season so far. So, um, so even with his limited minute, even with his limited minutes as a counting stat, he still leads us. Yes. Okay, that's important. Yeah, and Hector, Hector Bellerin is second. 
um, just, just behind him, um, but, you know, with almost double the minutes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Very interesting. And then where's Alexis out of curiosity? Uh, Alexis is fifth on the list at 1.85. What, um, do you have you that as a per at, 90 at, set? At a, yeah, at per 90, he's 0.6, and he's second behind Mesut Ozil. Okay, so, I mean, what it tells you is no matter how much you may hate these guys who are mercenaries and want out of our club and screw them and stick them in the reserves, as far as open play creating opportunities or, or making the dangerous passes, they're still the best two players we have, which is not surprising. Um, well, again, Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Uh, there's a Blogspot website you can go to for uh, all of his stuff, and that was... Uh, crabstats.blogspot.com there's that one and then there's the tableau you know what we'll find these links we'll put them on twitter we'll get them for you because I'm, I'm not reading them out again uh, but Scott will be making more appearances down the road when we have more interesting stats on a per game basis but it was great to sort of introduce him in this podcast when really the only thing to talk about is how terrible Francis Coughlin is as a player and human being in any event uh, Scott I uh, really appreciate you coming on we look forward to doing more of this in the future Definitely. Hope to talk to you on the weekend. Absolutely. And we will get back to the panel to now uh, talk about these stats as if we know what we're saying. Here we go. Okay. That was Scott Willis. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Uh, back with Tim and Paul to really quickly touch on Swansea. And Tim, I guess the, the operative question here is, do we go right back to the 11 that played against Everton? Uh, yeah, I think so. And that's one of the interesting things about having this kind of this second string. It, it does make things quite distinct. So you can tell what the starting eleven is going to be because of um, the guys that didn't play in the last game. Um, I think it will be. I think it pretty much should be um, at this stage. I'm really looking forward to seeing Ozil, Alexis and Lacazette in a home game against the team who's probably going to try and defend um, as much as possible and try and come away with a point. I think this will be a like... You know, it was very impressive what they did against Everton. This will be a real test against like a real, you know, deep block, eight guys back. Um, we'll really see uh, their, their kind of their craft and their interplay. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It's uh, it's 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 something I, I feel excited and energised about watching um, with Arsenal. And that's, you know, that, that's that's not to be sniffed at. So I think it will be the same team. I think it should be the same team. And given Swansea's form so far, really, it should be enough to beat them. Let, let me ask you and this. I agree with Tim. Yeah, well, as do I. Just really quickly, and, and I'll stay with you for a second, Tim, then come to Paul uh, for him to give us some kind of disgusting sex analogy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I bleated on, certainly, on so many of these podcasts about how we've got to get Lacazette, Ozil, and Alexis on the pitch together, that anything we're going to do is going to be with them. Just really quickly, two things. I mean, one, was it worth the wait? I mean, you know, Everton mm. being terrible aside, I mean, how great was it to see them together? And then two, do, are you of the opinion that it took us so long to see them together just because circumstance conspired to keep them apart? Or do you think Arson was reluctant to do it and now has no choice? A um, bit of both. So I think there were circumstances, but I think some of those circumstances were a bit convenient for the manager. And I think... You know, um, always that a little bruise you've got on your knee as a, um, yeah, we'll take you out today. Um, Oh, you've just come back from a long flight from Chile. We'll take you out today. I I think he was kind of looking for circumstances in a way. Um, But yeah, I I do think now we've kind of crossed that bridge now. And, um, you know, we've we've tasted the good stuff. So I'm I'm not sure I would do it like away at Man City, for example. Really? Um, Really? Although there is... There is an argument for it. What, are we going to keep a clean sheet against them if we don't? <laughs> for fuck's sake. There's, yeah, well, I mean, we, we could have a knife fight with them. Um, 
but I, I think particularly for a game like Swansea at home, I think I think it's important we see them together. I don't any, any of like the structural concerns um, about having like two guys in free rolls. I think that kind of melts away for a fixture like this. So mm-hmm. it, it really was worth the wait. It was kind of everything I hoped for, and I, and I feel like as well. Um, the thing is that the kind of everything's so divisive about Ozil, like he's brilliant, he's shit, he's all of it. And so when he has a bad game, everyone's like, see, he's awful. And when he has a good game, like he did on Sunday, everyone's like, see, you're all idiots, he's brilliant. And, um, you know, and, and the fact is, the way Ozil played at Everton, it wasn't one of those um, Ozil performances where it's like, oh, yeah, I looked at the highlights and he, he actually played quite well. It was one of those. Yeah, this is obvious. This is absolutely obvious to the eye. He's playing brilliantly. And uh, he doesn't play like that every week. If he did play like that every week, um, you know, there there wouldn't be this debate. But I I was interested in the fact that he just looked really energised from the first minute. And I think it was a little bit... um, a little bit because, you know, there's been a, a bit of criticism and he wanted to prove people wrong. But I, I wonder if some of that was like, oh, yeah, now I've got now, you know. Hey, I'm playing with I've good got, players. This is fun. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and because uh, it because it wasn't just, oh, look, look at this. Everton is shit. Like his first touch of the ball was if you go back and watch it, his very first contribution in the first minute is brilliant. And it's energised and he runs towards the ball and he, he does a lovely little layoff. And it was like, yeah, he means business. It wasn't just, oh, 20 minutes into the game, I've realised that um, Everton are crap. It, it was, you know, from the first minute to the minute he came off, he was excellent. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping very much to see more of that. Yeah, And, Paul, and can I add? Yeah, please do. So uh, I hear where you came with that question, but you can then turn the question around and say, if that's the case, if... Mesut Ozil looks fully energized and Alexis looked fully energized given all the things going on in the background, given all the potential rocks there, the manager actually played the little games, the little bit of politics, maybe he held them back a little bit, maybe, you know, he hasn't played them all the time, he's shown them who's boss, he's shown them who's calling the shots, uh, but it's, it's not in a vacuum, they also know that they're needed, but he's shown... And he's got them lined up. And uh, as Tim said, it was worth the wait. So I know you're going to say, well, we needed it earlier, but he mightn't have had that option. He might Maybe not. If, we we o- don't know. If, if Ozil's head was up, well, I even mean from a, a mind game standpoint, if Ozil had his head up his ass, if Alexis's head was off with Chile and off with City and pissed off his, you know, yeah, well, there, look, Paul- there, was, there was going to be a time of reckoning. And too early to say, but maybe the manager got it right and got them to pull their head out of their asses and get 100. I mean, that was the best Ozil performance I've ever seen, particularly from a mentality standpoint. And the way he not only participated for the highlights, he ran the game. He literally fucking ran the game. I don't disagree. I, I just think that the way you're looking at it is certainly a convenient way of positioning it if the conclusion you want to draw is that the manager played a blinder and got everything right. I think if you're going to take that position, you have to at least acknowledge that along the way there were shit shows like dropping the points to Watford and the capitulation at Anfield that he's going to have to own then too. But you know, that that's another sure, conversation. But you're at where you're at. And if Ozil's got his head up his ass, we don't know. I mean, we don't know. Right. Okay. But in your scenario of, did the manager conveniently wait till now to finally, you know, oh, no, that's blah, not my blah, scenario. Blah. By the way, I, I, do, I think the manager maybe it, it was a didn't. hypothetical you posed, you know, were they fully fit? 
or was the manager playing games for some reason? Well, if he was playing games for some reason, he he got it right. It's Maybe so he could games. have got it right sooner. I think the manager may have had concerns about whether he could play Alexis Ozil and Lacazette all together and have enough structure or defensive work rate or whatever you want to say, and that he finally got to the point in the season after the loss to Watford where he felt, okay. I don't have the luxury of being clever about balance, I need to get my best attacking players out there. Now, again, Paul, I, I'm not saying that's okay. the case, and I'm not saying that I that that's what it is. I'm saying that right, may I have understand. that may yeah. have been it. Um, so you know, it, it's look. This should be a hammering. I think if we go with that same eleven again, I think we should hammer them again. And ultimately, I I, I think it's crucial because it's a chance to really put two big performances under our belt with this eleven before going to City. And I think if it's another hammering and if it's another big performance, in a week where City has to play Champions League and we have a home game against Red Star that basically doesn't even really matter and none of them will play, it at least sets us up in a position to have a go at them. Um, so I think this is a big moment. And I agree with Tim. I, you know, they're going to be in a low block, but I think we're going to fucking blow them away. I think we're going to cut them to ribbons, have a huge performance, win heavily. Uh, so we will come back uh, after that game and discuss what went wrong. In any event, Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Yep, that's right. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at Paws in My Pants. Paws, we, we learned a lot uh, uh, about, well, not so much Arsenal, but human sexuality. So thanks for coming on. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please, please, please give us a five star review because it's a chance to write nasty things about Clive um, or Scott. Write nasty things about Scott. You know, nobody likes yeah, those welcome nerd. welcome to the pod. Hey, yeah, nerd. The, the hazing. Yeah. yeah pocket, <laughs> get, was, adjust your pocket protector, nerd. It can be stuff like that. <laughs> Any event, uh, we will hopefully talk to Scott and Clive and Tim and Paul very soon after the hammering that we dish out to uh, Swansea. Until then, cheers. We'll talk to you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.